Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. Joined as always by Don Pizzette up there in the upper corner. Don, how's it going? It is going great. You know, we're having a lot of fun with our uh, basically like Cert Nexus month here. So we've got a, a great guest lined up today to talk more about that and just amazing cybersecurity news and other things going on. So it's a, it's a fun week. It Mixed bag. Week. Yeah, we got a new segment a little bit later we're going to get to as well. So that's exciting. Daniel, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, got a new laptop. I finally moved away from mm -hmm. the Mac. The Mac is dead and it's in <laughs> Nate's hands. And now I have this uh, wonderful Lenovo that I'm I'm uh, learning to enjoy. Windows, Linux? It is running Windows at this point. Um, so far, so good. So oh, far, nice. so good. I like the um, having Windows available and not being virtualized. Uh, I can always virtualize uh, some sort of Linux yeah. distro and get there. I'm still wondering where you got Millennium Edition from, but somehow he did. <laughs> you know, I keep it on a CD. See, that's a throwback for people that weren't watching before this, before this show. <laughs> no, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't on the yeah. air, those jokes. Yeah. And uh, as Don alluded to, we are joined by Lindsay Bachman, who's the Director of Certifications at CertNexus. How are you doing, Lindsay? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? We're doing fantastic. Well, I'll speak Thank to the you. group, but yeah. They just said, they told me they were doing good, <laughs> yeah. so I'll pass it along. They said they're doing we good. We were like, yeah, Aggregate yeah. their responses, yeah. Tell her we're good. They're good. They're good. <laughs> what are you on, a Mac, PC? What, what you got going over there? I'm on a PC. Okay. All right. Windows, you know. Sure. Basic. <laughs> you got your uh, pumpkin spice latte as well no windows no not that, kind, not that like, kind of basic no, no okay thank you. there are levels of basic and i like how she was almost offended by that <laughs> comment. I, I was a little a little yeah, bit i apologize i think i'm confused is there more to this pumpkin? Well, it's basic. starting to become like cliche to people. Oh, okay all right yeah. I'm out of the loop on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Don is so basic. I know. All right. Well, let's get let's get to know Lindsay a little bit more in our first segment. Rapid fire questions. What do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Lindsay. In this segment, we've got a couple of questions we're going to fling at you, and you'll have uh, approximately one minute for each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you. Oh, was I supposed to do the buzzer right. there? If you can. Sorry. It's a, yeah. It's yeah. A talent that we demand. There we go. There go. Uh, it'll be like that, which actually means you'll have about a minute and a half to yeah, answer each question. It'll take him 30 seconds to find the buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> no. So plenty of time. Ready. I'll plan accordingly. You only say that every week. How was I supposed to know you were going to do it again? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like you expect the movie to end a different way. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so that's the plan. We're going to move through. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Peter, kick us off. Yeah, so we, we had Jeff Felice on last week, who's the CEO of CertNexus. And, uh, but for those that did not catch that episode, first of all, shame on you. But, but second of all, can you just kind of give us a quick recap of, of who CertNexus is? Absolutely. So CertNexus, uh, we're, we're primarily a professional certifications company. Um, so, you know, for people who don't know what that means, um, professional certifications really, you know, kind of fill a space in the, in the IT industry. Um, and we also play in the emerging technology industry. Um, for for validating skills and you know, kind of determining skills gaps and filling those gaps with professional certifications that you know live outside of having a, a college degree, or you know, other pre preparation type uh, tasks of that nature. So certain Nexus, we started really um, with cybersecurity. We have an incident responder exam and a secure coding exam, but a couple of years ago. 
uh, we really we noticed there was uh, a gap, if if you will, kind of as emerging technology started to really you know amp up, and we started with um, an Internet of Things certification program, and have since expanded that out to include artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, we'll you know, talk about some of our other offerings in a little bit, I think. So uh, data science, and also within those those areas, we have business level credentials. So really more for like your C-suite folks who need to know, you know, about what emerging tech is and how they might use it in their organization. But primarily we focus on kind of this practitioner level of, of people who are going to be tasked with implementing IoT or using machine learning in some manner within their organization. And then typically we also offer some sort of security level. Um, IoT uh, has security, a security program. And just recently our, our latest program that we just started last month, October 30th, um, it's latest and greatest, is really around um, the, the ethics of emerging technology and, and making sure that you're approaching emerging technology and using emerging technology um, within, with ethics in mind. Um, and that really has generated a lot of uh, interest in uh, within the industry because uh, it's not it's something that's huge, but it's not something that a lot of people are focused on these days. Um, so that was that's a really exciting new thing we have going for us. Now I know Certain Nexus is a, a kind of a growing name in the industry. That there's there's other providers out there with certifications like Microsoft and Cisco and, and people like that. Uh, we we see in the media a lot of the certs, and you know they're promoted. There's marketing campaigns behind them, but we don't normally see the people behind the scenes like you who are making these certifications possible. Now I know your title is Director of Certifications. I'm curious, what what does that mean? Are you the one who's selecting exam <laughs> objectives? Are you picking what certifications you offer? What, what's your role inside of CertNexus? So that's, you know, CertNexus is a really small organization. You know, we're not, we're not CompTIA size. So this is a really interesting question for, for me and for, for people to hear, I think my response, because really as my role as director of certification programs, I do it all. Uh, literally, it, you know, it's me kind of supporting our entire program from um, kind of determining what our, our program should be. So I'm involved in the process of what our products should be, what, you know, what's going to come up on our roadmap. I'm involved in the development of those certification programs, the production and delivery of those certification programs, and then kind of the follow on things that come after it. So, you know, candidate and certificate uh, management. So I'll kind of explain what all those things mean. So, you know, obviously, we look at the industry from a certification perspective and figure out where are their skills gaps, you know, what where what needs certification? What what does somebody or the industry feel that there is a need for us to validate those skills for employers, for you know, whether that's new employees you're looking for or existing employees? Um, is there a government, you know, need for a certification in that area? Are there uh, foreign programs that are paying money out to their their citizens for skills you know for upskilling so um we we look at the market we figure out okay where is there a gap and then what do we want that certification to be and, and we do a lot of you know internal discussion and research about you know what what that certification should be what the purpose should be and then we start to uh, recruit the people that will help us. Now, I am not a subject matter expert in all of these areas of technology. I wish I was, uh, but I'm a, a subject matter expert in developing certifications. So we really go out to the industry and recruit our subject matter experts who are people who have experience 
uh, working and expertise in the content areas that would be covered by an exam of that nature. Um, and then we go through a fairly rigorous process of, um, of a series of workshops where the first is called the job task analysis, where we gather all of those subject matter experts together and determine as a group, uh, what are the, the job tasks that someone would need to be able to perform? And then what are the competencies they would need to have in order to perform those job tasks? And that is the foundation of a, of a certification exam. It is really led by you know, the performance and the doing that would have to be done on the job. All right, let's, yeah. Oh, I was going to jump in because you were talking about that ethics in the emerging technology. And I know that uh, certain nexuses is fairly new, if, if, if not like super new, the idea of the certified ethical emerging technologist as a certification. Could you jump into that a little bit? Because I, I'm, I want to know a little bit more about that. And I think that people would be really interested in this cert. Sure. So, you know, like I said, we, we really felt that when it came to, especially, you know, for uh, a, a program that sits kind of above our, our artificial intelligence, our certified artificial intelligence practitioner, and our soon to be certified data science practitioner that's currently in development, we, we wanted to sit above that rather than a, a true security exam. We felt that, um, you know, the idea of, of all these risks uh, that that live around collecting data and using data is really important. And so, you know, we kind of touch upon some ethics in our, our certified artificial intelligence practitioner that we really wanted to build upon. And that became the basis for certified ethical emerging technologist. Uh, and so in that case, we gathered a phenomenal group of SMEs together who are just doing such great work um, there's a lot of people doing work out there around ethics and data, um, and we were really fortunate to get some really great people involved. But really what, you know, so, so the things, the topics that are covered in, we call it SEAT, in SEAT are, um, we touch upon some of the fundamentals. So, you know, what are the fundamental concepts of, of ethics, the ethical principles that you might need to know? Um, you know, there's a lot of philosophy around that. So, so having a, a base knowledge of, of what those, those principles are, but then there's also a number of ethical frameworks that are available out there in the world that people are, you know, abiding by or should be following um, as, you know, it's kind of like, you know, where cybersecurity was 10, 15 years ago, there's a lot of things being, being made in different countries. There's nothing that's ne necessarily at the, you know, the global level, but various frameworks for development and use of data-driven technology that people should be aware of. Um, and then the, a really large portion of the Certified Ethical Emerging Technologist exam is focused on identifying and mitigating the various risks involved with collecting data, you know, using data in your, in your algorithms and your models, and then how you, you, you know, use that data to make business decisions or, you know, you've collected all this data. How are you then using that to market it, you know, market new products to your existing customers? Sure. All right. Yeah. I think we've uh, totally broken our rapid fire model. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, and I yeah. think I, th I didn't get buzzed. Not, no, I, yeah, no, we no, were over here mocking Peter. I'm like, going. I don't want to, I don't <laughs> want to buzz somebody. You were busy yeah. saying interesting things. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's hard to buzz someone. if you'd like me to. <laughs> oh, there it goes. Oh, and the time is up on that one. But we do want to talk about one of the other certifications uh, that's brand new from you guys, but we'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, first, sure. we want to go ahead and get to our next segment for this week, which is Big 
big news this week. And now, the news. We switched to Bluetooth on this thing because the cable wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah, is that what's, what? What product is that? Oh yeah, yeah. There's that. I know. I know. Don <laughs> loves Bluetooth too. So it would have been fine on a Zoom. It would. The Zoom would have nailed it. <laughs> Works like a charm. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, the article we're looking at this week is from RealClearEducation.com. Combining degrees with quality certifications is a win for everyone. And I know when we had Jeff on last week, we talked uh, about degrees or certifications. And I don't know why it never crossed my mind. It, just get both. I mean, I know that uh, that's probably not necessarily feasible for everyone but is there uh, are, are there extra benefits to to having having both of these uh, Lindsay, rather than uh you know just just focusing really hard in on one well so you know i think that first and foremost there's a lot of you know confusion in you know out there in the world about w what is a certification and how that's different from you know a certificate that you would get upon completion of a you know some training or in this case a degree. If you think about you know your university or your college experience, if you walked out with a degree, your degree is forever. You know there's nothing that you have to do to maintain your you know your status with, as a degree holder. But certifications are really part of what what makes them robust is that you know they're good for a period of time. And within that period of time, either you have to retake the latest exam that is has been organized around what you know those job tasks are, or you have to enroll in some sort of continuing education. And if you don't meet the requirements of that certification, it can be revoked from you. So you know, really, a combination of, of a degree and a certification, you know, is proof of that ongoing continuing improvement and staying up to date on what's new and especially in you know the cybersecurity field at, and especially in emerging technology iot machine learning data science where things are not fully baked they're you know they're not that fully baked cookie yet sure. things are changing you know frameworks are changing it's really important that you are constantly you know being called to task as being up to date with the latest and greatest information and you know principles or procedures that are out there in the world so that you are, you know, being validated as, a, you know, currently and accurately right. valid. So, so you're saying your that the, the degree is kind of the foundation that shows, hey, I have this this fundamental foundation, and kind of, you know, with a degree, you've got a broad range because you've got to take other classes outside of your your core degree. Uh, but then the certifications, if those are on your resume, that proves that yes, I've kept up to date on this, and and I've got the latest and greatest. And if you think about, you know, like traditional, you know, schooling or courseware, you're, you, you might have an assessment at the end, but that's primarily knowledge-based. It's making sure, did you learn something? Can you recall it? Is it rote? You know, it's more rote memory where certifications are really meant to be competency and performance-based. You know, a lot of certifications literally have some sort of performative piece that you have to do. Um, it, that's a growing thing, trended in the industry. So the certification is really meant to be more competency and task focused. So the combination of the two says, yeah, I know these, I have these knowledge, skills and abilities and a certification really speaks to your ability to your competency for performing those tasks. Now, I guess it kind of is important when we consider combining the two that we think about what, what that degree is in, because I know there are some people who will get like a bachelor's degree in English or your English lit 
political uh, science or- and political, <laughs> like some people uh and then they uh they decide they want to get into it and so they pursue certifications as a way to get their foot into the door of it so in in that aspect now you've got it certifications that show a hands-on skill and you've got this degree in something completely unrelated if you were in that situation or if you were giving advice to somebody like that would you encourage them to seek an it degree also or is just a degree a degree i personally don't necessarily ascribe to the need to have a degree. I have a degree. I'm one of those people who has, I'm an English major. I have my master's in English. Um, and it's been great. (laughs) It's great for, I have really great communication skills. I can really, you know, write and, and read really well. Um, but like my, my husband who is a software engineer doesn't have a degree. Uh, but he has 20 years of experience because he started coding when he was 16. So I, I think there's space for both of those things to be out there in the world. Um, I think that's a great you know, example. If you have an English degree and you change careers, I mean, we're, we're in an industry and we're in a time where people are changing careers for a, a number of reasons. And certifications, I think, are a way to kind of fill that gap of, I can't go back to school. I can't get a four-year degree. I, I need something I can, you know, take some courseware or a boot camp and and you know spend six months studying and and then take a, a certification exam and come out with something that shows that I have skills that employers are looking at um, you know maybe in addition to to having jo- on the job experience but I think um, I think there's room for both and I think we should start um, using both in in whatever manner works for your organization as a way to validate that people have those skills. Sure. Well, speaking of, of certifications and, and new certifications to kind of staying on the cutting edge, uh, Jeff kind of alluded to last week the new uh, data scientist practitioner uh, certification. But, uh, you know, in terms of what you've got going on now, that that's something that's probably taken up a lot of your time. So uh, it, where is that in the life cycle right now? Yeah. So right now, um, data science practitioner uh, is really, we're just kicking it off. We will have our first workshop actually the end of this week, starting on Friday with our subject matter experts who are all gathering to perform that job task analysis, which is really like the, the keystone of everything we do. So the, we'll gather them all together and we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, pull that group of what are those job tasks that, that someone would need to be able to perform? And not necessarily job tasks, it's such a misnomer, but tasks in general that if, you, if we were to say this person is a certified data science practitioner, what do they need to be able to do? Um, and then, you know, what kind of, you know, we call them the, the four example subtopics or what kind of tools would somebody need to know or technologies or techniques that would enable them to be able to perform that task. And really what comes out of that workshop is called, we call it the exam blueprint. And it's a big old list of um, you know the exam domains. So all the, the the tasks become exam objectives. So things that you would need to be able to perform and, and, and will be asked questions about on your exam. And then they all roll up into you know kind of these umbrella terms that we call domains. And each of those domains gets a, a weighting or a percentage that the they cover are covered on the exam. Um, so that blueprint will will be available. You know, towards the end of the month, um, a blue, an exam blueprint becomes publicly available information, and it'll so you'll launch that on our website. That'll come out before the you know the full course is, is done or the full yeah. uh, cert- certifications out there. Yeah. So so that as soon as it's we're kind of finished in its draft form, where all the objectives are available, uh, the exam blueprint becomes kind of public knowledge and public information, because anyone anywhere at any organization could develop training materials toward that exam blueprint. 
obviously at certain nexus we engage with somebody uh, to create those exam materials, uh, whether that's through our sister organization, Logical Operations, or through the Coursera platform where we have, you know, certified ethical emerging technologists is on Coursera. Um, but the exam blueprint kind of goes out there to the world for people to start, you know, looking at, and you can study for that exam just based on the blueprint. Um, or you could say, hey, I'm a, I'm a courseware organization. I want to develop some training materials towards that. Um, and then that kind of goes in two directions. That exam blueprint is goes to our courseware development team and they do what they do. And then I continue it forward and I take that to our, our item writing group where we, again, gather some subject matter experts, uh, train them on, on how to write a good challenging exam question. Um, and then we, we write those questions and assemble a form. It usually takes a couple of weeks or, you know, two months to three to three months. See, that, that's where the English degree, test. the English degree comes in then finally. It you're, does come in handy. You're writing the questions. So there you go. I don't write the questions. I just kind of facilitate them and, and show them how to, you know, I'll review them for, for, for accuracy, sure. you know, from a gram grammatical perspective, but really the accuracy of content, the validity of a question is uh, reviewed and approved by all the subject matter experts. Uh, a question doesn't end up on an exam unless everyone, or at least a majority, approves it as it as it is. So, sure, it's um, an incredible amount we, of work that goes behind those those so exams. It's a lot of work, and then we have a beta test, which is where the the you know the the actual live exam is available for for the taking. We're always looking for people who want to take beta tests. So, you know, visit our website end of January, early February to find out information about our beta test. And essentially, it's a really cheap opportunity to take a certification exam um, and that and you that counts as having the cert then after, even after the the beta if exam you, or if you've passed so the way oh, the sure. beta exam works is um you, you take the exam you don't get a score right away at the end because what we're looking for is performance data so you know how many people got this question right that might be this question is too easy how many people got this question wrong that might be it's too hard or there's a flaw in the way that the question's written but we use that exam performance data and kind of get a, an idea of what a, a appropriate passing score would be. And that becomes the passing score for that exam. And then we look back at the, the beta data. And if you've passed, if you've achieved that passing score or higher than that passing score, you are granted certification. So, you know, okay. and it's really sometimes, sometimes the beta is offered for free. Sometimes it's offered at like $25. Sure. Um, so that's a really, you know, an in really interesting way for you to contribute to our exam development, but also potentially get a pretty cheap certification out of the deal. Yeah. I think just let me take it. And then anything I get right, go ahead and assume that that's too easy <laughs> and move on. But uh, so certainexus.com. I'll just remove your name from our data if I see it. Yeah, I'll please do. Yeah. Right yes, that'd be smart. And if, yeah, if you see Daniel in the ethics exam, just know that that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Outlier. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So certainexus.com. So check out the blueprint uh, when that's up soon. And then keep an eye out for the uh, for the beta for the tests as well, and yeah. uh, and obviously got all the other uh, testing information there as well for all the uh, certifications that have existed for a while. So make sure to check that out over at certnexus.com. Well, thank you, Lindsay, so much for for taking the time and joining us today. Hey, thanks, guys. It was fun. Yeah, and stay tuned, everybody. We got more Technado coming up right after this quick break. This is Kevin. He's studying online for a Microsoft certification and using another online IT training service. He's also on his second pot of coffee today to stay awake. 
and this is Kyle. He's also studying Microsoft, but using IT Pro TV. Rather than watching a boring voiceover PowerPoint, he's actually enjoying the training with two hosts in an interactive format. Both Kevin and Kyle have access to virtual labs and practice tests, but Kyle can also get help through a live chat with other IT Pro TV members and his instructors, as well as post to a Q&A forum. He can even search for exactly what he's looking for in the interactive video transcripts, all while paying less than Kevin. Oh, and Kyle can also watch in comfort via Roku app. Kevin and Kyle are both learning IT, but Kyle is enjoying the journey. Want to be more like Kyle? Here the plans to start your IT Pro TV membership today. Welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette, and thank you to Lindsay from CertNexus for sharing kind of the behind the scenes, how the sausage is made on the certifications. That was kind of cool to hear, so uh, thank you so much for that. But we've got a lot of news to get to, but actually before the, the regular news, we have a new segment, News from Captain Obvious. Stay tuned for the news. Thanks, Captain Obvious. All right, this article is from ZDNet.com, and when Don saw this, he said, this is like <laughs> the dumbest article ever. Ransomware Duh. gangs that steal your data don't always delete it. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. What? Yeah. Half Man. of the Q3 2020 ransomware investigations involve data exfiltration with cases doubling from the previous quarter. So I know, Don, we've talked a lot about with ransomware attacks, are they just uh, encrypting the data or are they actually yeah. exfiltrating it? And so this is saying in those cases, when when you pay, they're just going, okay, cool, you, I'll put yep. it to the side, but they're keeping it. So originally ransomware would just encrypt your data and they would uh, exfiltrate the decryption key or they'd have some other way of generating a decryption key. And that's what they would ransom you for. You had to pay the money to get the key. Well, as companies wised up and started protecting their systems, they realized like, hey, if I get by ransomware, I can just format and restore from a backup. And my backup's not encrypted, I'll restore it, I'll be back in business. And so the ransomware attackers had to find a way to, to circumvent that. And so what they started doing is either just prior to or during the encryption process, they exfiltrate copies of the data to servers somewhere else. Then they still try to uh, ransom you based on the encrypted data. But if you say, no, I'm gonna restore from a backup, then that's when they say, well, by the way, We've got a copy of all your data, and if you don't pay a data deletion fee, which is the same as the decryption fee, then as we're going to double it like out of spite at that point. <laughs> I think some of them have started trying to do that, but yeah, they, they say that if you want us to delete the data, you got to pay this extra fee, or we're going to release it online, and that's a lot worse. Like restoring from a backup doesn't solve that. Now they've got your data, and they're going to expose it online. You know that's a big problem. Companies are paying these ransoms left and right. And what they're finding is that in over half the cases, you can't trust the criminal to what? delete the data that when they say they're going sense. to. Now, if anything I know about criminals is that they are very trustworthy people. Yeah, there's a code. So I'm surprised it's about this. Honor among thieves. Where did that <laughs> phrase come from? Oh, you've got to start stealing because oh, you're not I, a thief. If I steal point, my data yeah. back, they go, okay, uh, well, no, yeah, good on you. Right. Fair's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, if you get by ransomware now, you do need to be able to show whether or not exfiltration occurred or you have to treat it as a breach. Most people don't consider getting a virus on your computer a data breach, right? But most ransomware packages these days are being changed to exfiltrate data, which means if you get ransomware, it needs to be handled as a breach. It's a big deal. Oh, man. Now I'm starting to think about, like, I just want to put a bunch of, like, malware logic bombs throughout and make it its data that they would want. <laughs> and that way I'm like, ah, I crypted you back, sucker. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the canaries that yeah, that's people true. are starting to put on networks. Yep. Yeah. 
Got to find them. See, I'm an ethical hacker myself, so uh, <laughs> I use a, an escrow service that, that the data goes through. So I never actually have your data. And then when when you pay me the Bitcoin, I let the escrow service know, and they uh, they delete the data oh, for me. Well, that's so. nice of them. Yeah, that well, seems fair. Yeah, that's except a business, for the part that's where a business I could they start. could go. I've got all this data in. <laughs> Y'all got some money. <laughs> I know you just paid this guy, but I'll take yeah. some. I made up that business model, but I like it. I might go with it. I will look into it. All right, well, let's get to the regular news then. Our first article is from techradar.com. ARM has launched a CPU monster that will get Intel and AMD very worried. It's designed to power next-gen always-on portables. So when we're talking about portables, is that is that just like phones or uh, tablets, all that kind of stuff? So most of this stuff is designed for phones and tablets, but we're starting to see laptops that are basically in the tablet arena. And so ARM processors are typically focused not so much on, on uh, speed and processing power. They're more focused on power consumption, right? They want to give you 20 hours of battery life versus the six hours you might get on your laptop. So that's kind of what they're designed with. Well, now ARM is stepping up their game. You know, this week, Apple is, <clears throat> is announcing their ARM-powered MacBooks. Uh, so they're basically moving to Apple-developed silicon, which are not technically ARM processors, but they use the ARM instruction set. So, you know, kind of hand-in-hand -hand with this. So the ARM group has actually released specs for the Cortex-A78C, and the C is supposed to stand for compute. This one is designed to be used in devices that are more laptop-like. And... Traditionally, these Cortex processors had four big cores and four small cores that were used for various operations. This new one just has eight big cores, and that puts it much, much closer in line with a desktop processor. So this is ARM basically firing the first shot, saying, hey, we're, we're ready for everybody, not just Intel. Is this going uh, to give them like less power consumption, or are we still going to see really good power consumption with added benefit of more compute power? They say you still get the the good battery consumption. The hell you say. That's what they're saying. I mean, obviously, we don't have one in our hand to test. Yeah, yeah. That, I can't wait claim. to, to give that hot. a whirl. Yeah, you don't want to hold that. So I, I've always been confused by this, Don, and you kind of alluded to it, so hopefully maybe you can, you can use a second here to clear this up. So ARM is a company, but ARM is also... Is yep. it something that I could create an ARM chip or it kind yeah. of like Android? So the ARM organization does not make a single piece of hardware. They, not, not a single piece. Uh, they make two things. So one, they make the design specifications for the ARM processors, which they then license out to other companies. Okay. Companies like NVIDIA will license that and, and, and actually make the real processors. And then they separately license the instruction set for talking to the processor, right? And so in the case of Apple, what Apple did is they licensed the instruction set. And so you can talk to one of the Apple, you know, like the M1 processor now, uh, you can talk to that using your standard ARM instructions. So if I compile an application for an ARM CPU, it'll run on Apple's hardware. But it's not an actual ARM CPU under the hood. It's something that Apple has completely developed in-house. All right. They yeah. cleared it up. I like this, though. I, I, I want to have, like, really good work experience on my laptop, my mobile devices, and still have that uh, that life. I hate You were yeah. always talking about how you're always plugged in. I, I I can't stand being tethered. I want to be be able to roam around and not have to be plugged in. Yeah. So Daniel's I, a, a wild horse. I am. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation with uh, Ronnie Wong from yeah. IT TV earlier, and uh, you know he, he he uses a Mac. It's an Intel yeah. Mac, and the, you know they've announced these ARM Macs, and uh, he was he's asking about you know if if you should take the plunge on it. And so we started kind of running through the software that he uses, trying to identify what would break. And, you know, your web browser is going to work. Uh, navigating your network, printing to a printer is going to work. So the, the normal stuff you do is going to work. But then we got to VMware Fusion. Uh. 
not going to work. And that's right? done. <laughs> yep. And, and for him, because of all the stuff he does with virtual machines, yeah. that's broken. So, you know, it'll be a little while before, at least in the IT world, before your techie people are ready to make that jump to ARM. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it with bated breath. Do we know, is this going to make uh, MacBooks cheaper than the, the, the ones that are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, if Instead of $3,000, they'll be twenty nine ninety five. dollars no. Well, if it can't do all the things that the other ones can. No, I've, I've seen the pricing. They are just as expensive. They oh, perfect. They have not reduced at all. Yep. Good to know. All right, way to stick to your guns there, Apple. <laughs> all right, our next article is from ZDNet.com. Windows 10, 20H2, and 2004 upgrades blocked over Intel Thunderbolt DMA violation. So this is kind of a, a similar thing. So uh, Thunderbolt is, that's proprietary. Right. But they use the those connections. Or, uh, Apple's licensed those, so they have done something wrong there? Uh, yeah, so, so DM, uh, DMA. Uh, <laughs> Thunderbolt DMX. is actually developed by Intel. And that is a uh, standard they've created. Apple has embraced it pretty thoroughly, so most Macs have a Thunderbolt port. Uh, in the Windows world, on the you know the standard PC side, Thunderbolt is far less common. And it's been kind of flaky, the, the Thunderbolt drivers. Apple's put a lot of work to making it stable on their system. Microsoft does not put that kind of work on theirs. And so it shows in that uh, this week, they had to suspend the 20H2 and 2004 upgrades from being rolled out to any machine that has Intel Thunderbolt ports on it. Uh, so, you know, those two updates are kind of important. Most people have been watching from the 20H2 contains some of the new start menu options. So the UI for your end users changes a little bit. So people have been watching for it. Uh, but basically, Thunderbolt has a mode where it does direct memory access. You plug in a Thunderbolt device and it can talk directly to RAM without having to go through the CPU. And there have been a lot of security concerns over that, that somebody could potentially use that to access memory on your system with no security protections. And so Microsoft has put various protections in place, which I suspect is the problem here. But basically the end result is if you are running one of those Windows Update versions and you've got a Thunderbolt device, you will get random blue screens. So if your computer has been randomly blue screening and shutting down, it may actually be the Thunderbolt devices that are causing that. And until there's an update, Microsoft has stopped that update from pushing out. Oh, well, wow. Welcome back to Windows, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Well, good news is I don't have any uh, Thunderbolt devices. Yeah, most people so, don't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't have any. What, what kind of ports do you have on that new machine? Oh, man, this thing has got all sorts of stuff. I got like, um, what I got, USB-C, I got a Thunderbolt. I've got HDMI, HDMI. we got tactical what? nukes. Oh, man, I got, got an actual <laughs> RJ45 tactical nukes would be awesome. <laughs> Except for then I'm like a nuclear power, and I'm going to have to be like sanctioned by some nah, government. Do you, do you remember the, I think it was a director's <laughs> cut of Aliens? When oh, the, the yeah. guy is like running down all the equipment, he's telling Ripley oh, yeah, she's yeah. fine. Like, yeah, we got auto cannons, <laughs> we got sentry guns, we got tactical nukes. He did have tactical yeah. nukes. You can fit they all did. that in there. That's Dude, awesome. that was great. It's actually, I'm, I'm really happy with this so far. This is a Lenovo um, P15S, so... Got the full size. Don, you're rocking the 14, right? 13. 13. Oh, he, yeah. went, he, likes it. he likes them a little smaller. Uh, but I wanted the more. Uh, I'm old now, and I can't see <laughs> like I once did. So you're having the a larger screen was nice. To tell me that. Like, they wanted the larger laptop because their eyes are getting bad. Dude, it's crazy. It's like I turned 40, and all of a sudden my body was like, ah, F you, I'm out. <laughs> well, didn't you watch Minority Report? There's something you can do. Oh, is yeah. there? Yeah. Which is, you I didn't a, watch Renard Airport. You didn't, no, you yeah. just need a bathtub full of ice okay. and uh, a pair of eyeballs from someone else. Oh, yeah. well, there's I, that. I someone someone, younger. someone <laughs> younger. Yeah, yeah, get younger <laughs> eyes. Like, I got 60-year-old <laughs> eyes? Yeah. This is so stupid. Why would I do this? <laughs> oh, man, they told me they were 16-year-old yeah. eyes. Yeah. Well, then you got to change all your credit cards and stuff, I think, to your new identity. Oh, um, you, yeah, I guess that could be a problem. That's how you do that mm. in the future. Yeah. Do you do the surgery on yourself or... 
No, you have a, a black market guy. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. a market who, who like gives you a string so you can find your way around the apartment <laughs> while you can't see for a while, and puts a moldy sandwich out uh, for you. Yeah. Well, can he just make my browser bigger? Because <laughs> <laughs> that might be easier. another it's option. Would be yeah. a pinch <laughs> zoom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on now to our next article from Pharonix.com. Fedora develops, uh, excuse me, Fedora developers discussing retiring NTP, a deprecating SCP protocol. How, how dare they? I John, know. This is one of those where I don't know what those two things are. So this one caught me by surprise. It's one of those I, I learned something today articles. Yeah. Um, so SCP, Secure Copy Protocol, has been around a long time. I hate it. It's a pain in the butt. Uh, it is a pain. Yeah, it has no navigation functionality. So, like, you have to know exactly where the files are that you're going to be moving around with it. Um, so, you know, for most of us, SFTP has been a total replacement for that, which is just FTP over SSH. And so the Fedora developers, you know, that's kind of the cutting edge of the Red Hat development cycle. Uh, they're saying that SCP needs to go away. And so they're they're proposing to modify the SCP command in Fedora to actually use SFTP. And then <laughs> so it's, it's like yeah. fooling you into thinking you're using SCP, but you're so actually you SFTP. still have the command, nice. but it's using SFTP. And then you know over time they could phase it all out. And the command as it is, if it fails to connect with SFTP, it would fail back to SCP. Mm. So that's what they're proposing, which I thought was kind of neat. I'm not a fan of SCP anyway, so I'm kind of glad to see that. But the NTP side of this got me because I was like, network time protocol. We we all use that. How can you deprecate it? But apparently there is a bit of a developer coup in the core NTP project where the development is not being open and, and freely discussed. You can't do code review right now of some of the new stuff that's being done. You're saying there's a technology religious war happening? I, it that, certainly seems I just that don't way. believe it. Yep. It never happens. And there's a few high-profile security bugs that have not been fixed in a significant amount of time, enough that the Fedora developers are worried about it. And so they're talking about phasing out the standard NTP service that's a part of most Linux distros and moving to NTPSec, which is one that has a whole security subset built into it. So really neat mm -hmm. times to two venerable protocols that have been around that are about to change pretty significantly. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I like I like how, because we see this from time to time, right? You're, you're thinking, oh, I'm using the the old command that I grew up on. No, you're kind of not. Yeah, you're, it looks like we it. We just made it look, give you the look and feel of that, uh, you know, old jalopy you're used to, but this is actually the new Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> I will just read this article anytime I'm having trouble falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a health benefit. I huh? <laughs> am lost on that one, but I know a little bit more now. Thank you. Well, yeah. Well, SCP, that's the secure clown posse. It's secure, oh, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Big fans. The Scuggalos, I guess. Scuggalos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of one. <laughs> All right. We're, we're totally adopting that, right? Yeah. Scuggalos is if you, oh, yeah. trademark. If you're a Technado fan, you're now a Scuggalo. A Scuggalo. Yep. Yeah. We need to uh, reserve that domain before. That's right. Or Scugga.low. Can we get face paint? Oh heck yeah! Because <laughs> we got to defeat the the you know facial recognition oh, good point. And stuff, right? Yes, we talked I, about it's all about security here on Technado. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's why we're doing it. Yeah, Not that's it's it. super fun. Yeah, and ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. All right, so uh, we we had a Captain Obvious reference earlier, and so now let's move on to an article from Engadget about Hotels.com and Expedia um, provider exposed. Wait, Hotels.com is owned by Expedia. I don't know. Um, that was the other way around. Expedia, Expedia was owned, owned by those. Okay, yeah. Uh, You're owned by Expedia. Expedia. Oh, God, I knew it. Uh, they exposed data for millions of guests. That's what happened. And there it opened the door to theft and fraud. So, boy, first of all, I didn't know they, they still had customers this year. Uh, yes. Yeah, travel website. So all, that is all a good you point. should have been doing now is just watching the old data. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So uh, they were watching the old data. In fact, they left it in a Amazon S3 bucket. No. We've heard this story before. This should be Deja News. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, they put it in an Amazon S3 bucket with no security. Again, read uh, permissions to the whole wide world uh, over 10. Say what? Yeah, over 10 million log files dating all the way back to 2013, seven Don, years. In their defense, Don, permissions are hard. Yeah, it's yeah, really time consuming and frustrating. How dare we expect people to understand the infrastructure they're deploying on? I know. Uh, fortunately, the data only included names credit card details, oh, ID yeah. numbers, and reservations. Talk about details. bullet dodge. Yeah, so pretty pretty limited. <laughs> yeah, these these stories are tragic. And, and the reason we want to report on them here on Technado is to, to remind everybody out there, like if you're using Amazon S3, you really need to understand, or any kind of cloud storage, cloud services, that they're open to the world. They are under attack. There are the, the Shodan search engine you can use to find open S3 buckets like it's trivial to get into this and, stuff. and this is the crazy part about it, right? We're thinking when you, most people use the word hacker or, you know, cyber attacker or something like that. People think, oh yeah, somebody with super technological skill sets. And then somebody was just kicking around the internet one day and was like, oh, what's this? An S3? Wow. Yeah. Credit cards. Cool. <laughs> it, it's the equivalent of leaving your TV in the front yard. Yeah. And with a live feed on to like your banking <laughs> and then when it's gone when you come home being surprised yeah, yeah. <laughs> who well, took the, the tv <laughs> yeah the takeaway for the for the company is secure your s3 uh, bucket the takeaway for the consumer is always use an alias uh, if you're having a <laughs> uh, extramarital affair and you're booking <laughs> hotels or or you know call call the hotel and book directly you for know those. that is the sad part right like yeah. the cheaters are okay in this scenario because they use That's fake true. credentials but the rest of us are burned well i guess you got to use your real name though if you're using a credit card and if these are if you're using online transactions, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the the hotels that pay that you pay by cash, uh, I don't think are the ones that are <laughs> on Expedia. Yeah, by the <laughs> by the hour at hotels.com. Yeah. Like, I want to filter this. Just show me the one star hotels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Show me the no questions asked. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask. Don't seven dollars. That's not bad. <laughs> Do I need a, a rail car? Hell yes. Yeah. And yeah. a hepatitis uh, vaccine. <laughs> before you go. The nearest clinic is delivered. Right yeah. Delivered on site. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, thanks, times. Captain Obvious. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, uh, our next article is at securityboulevard.com. Survey sees AI, automation, cast shadow over security careers. So does, is this saying that basically like security careers were the hot thing for the longest time? Sure. And now, I mean, we even talked about it in the first segment with Sir Nexus of the emerging technologies. Are, is that coming to the forefront now and, and passing security in terms of popularity? Well, in, in this case, I don't think it's so much that as it is the fact that people are able to automate a lot of tasks that security professionals do. And Peter, you remember, we, we went to RSA a couple of years in a row, yep. and uh, it was <clears throat> vendor after vendor promoting these artificial intelligent machine learning systems that would scan your network and learn all your traffic and do all this work, which is work that security professionals used to do by hand. So some people are starting to get worried about that. And Honestly, I, it makes me wonder how much longer we need to keep Daniel around. <laughs> how, do, how do I not have the South Park sound on here of the, they're taking our job. <laughs> they're taking our job. <laughs> Daniel, they are taking yeah. your job. You know, it's funny. They actually brought this question up when uh, I was sat at the panel on ChannelCon last year. Like, how, how, how much should we be worried about AI taking our jobs away from us, doing things? And it's, I, I think if you look through this article, it talks about how 
this is really uh, more of an issue, or it looks like uh, 22% of cyber professionals over 45 said automation represented a threat, but nearly half of respondents, 40, uh, 47%, under 45 said their job security is also heavily threatened. So there's kind of an age disparity there, um, a disparity uh, on who they think is going to or who thinks they're going to have their jobs taken away from them. I can understand the younger crowd kind of thinking that, but typically what ends up happening with these is they just become a tool set for, and people that have been in the business kind of realize that. So if you're a little yeah. bit older, you kind of understand that that's the case. Well, you know, if it's age kind of boundary on there, it yeah. might actually be a matter of who's seen Terminator and who hasn't. Oh, that's true. That's true. So I, that, that would be an influencing factor. <laughs> that's right. We knew the machines were coming for us, son. Right. You haven't seen T2? Jeez, it'd be automatic. Like, yeah. Make we, that on the onboarding. We know what happened to Sarah Connor. We're, That's we're right. On, you know. Saw her roast to death against a fence. Yeah. yeah. You take action now. That's right. I still see that when I close my eyes. When those robots come for your prescription medications. And they will. <laughs> Old glory. Uh, so, you know, one argument could be made, well, first of all, you, you could always uh, move to a job in AI because you someone's got to be creating that stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. but the second thing is, too, I mean... I, I think, you know, hackers are, I mean, they could put these same technologies to use as well on their end. And I, I think you've, you've got to have some sure. human interaction there still watching over these things. Absolutely. You know, one thing Lindsay mentioned was data science. And most of us mm. are probably thinking like, well, oh, data science, I'm not a programmer. But <laughs> when you buy some of these tools, I know I'm, I'm just invalidating so the career field. <laughs> so, so Justin's uh, rolling over. Yeah, right we now. all thought, Shut stupid, up right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, these tools, they don't just work out of the box, right? You've got to train them. They have yeah. to learn your environment. So somebody does actually have to configure, maintain, and monitor those systems. And they get false positives all the time. Somebody's got to interpret the data. So, you know, Peter, I know you just kind of threw it out there, but you're absolutely right. You just... You need to evolve your skills, and your right. skills need to become how you train these AI devices. Right. And then it becomes, it frees you up to do more creative things or more important things because AI is now kind of handling all that, uh, the random stuff that comes throughout your day. Anybody that's ever worked at Help Desk would be like, man, it'd be awesome if we could automate yeah. password resets. And all I had to do was actually work on computers that were broken. Yeah, if 60% of your stuff is taken off your plate right away, yeah. you can be more proactive maybe with other things. Yeah. But but I also got to think from a hacker's perspective, you know, if I know, wow, all of this stuff is now just AI watching, I, I got to be able to think that I can do things to, to mask what I'm doing nefariously and, and put it into patterns or whatever to... Um, to sneak by, you know, there's, yeah. there's nobody watching the gate anymore except for a robot. You know, here's here's the things I can do now to get mm. past that. I think another thing to keep in mind, though, is artificial intelligence means that the computer is able to think to some degree like a human. But the thing we don't usually mention is the age of that human, right? <laughs> it's like a five-year-old. Yeah, if yeah. you've ever had a conversation with Siri in any way or uh, Alexa or, or any of those, I, it's hard enough to order a pack of batteries. So I, I don't really feel a threat in terms of security I, danger. I come home all the time to find my Roomba in the shower because <laughs> there's a step down and no door, and it just gets in there, cleans that whole shower like three times, and like, I, I guess I'm uh, done. I, yeah. Yeah. Clean so, this. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, yeah. the Roomba's the one watching your network. Those are the kind of robots that it won't be such a big deal defeating. Like, oh, no. I went up the stairs. Yeah, that <laughs> <Defeated>. robot. <laughs> That's got a tactical nuke. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Lenovo. <laughs> My bad. 
<laughs> All right, while uh, while we're doing Start Nexus Month here at uh, TechNado, we've uh, got a webinar from IT Pro TV to let you know about. If you head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, the next one, Powering the Operation of New Mobility, How AI, IoT, 5G, and the Cloud are Shaping the Future of Transportation. So that one's uh, pretty cool. Elena Farnsworth is going to be doing that on Thursday, November 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, head to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can sign up for that and take a look at all the archived ones that we've done in the past as well. We had a really cool one last week that Daniel was a part of um, with the people from CertNexus as well, solving the cybersecurity skills gap with NICE, the NICE framework. So uh, that one's on there as well, archived now. So you can take a look at that. Uh, and also, speaking of CertNexus month, we have CertNexus Jeopardy coming up. Uh, that is, let's see the date on this bad boy. That is coming November up. November 32nd. <laughs> November 32nd. Oh, it's actually Friday, November 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern Ooh, Time. Very Friday the 13th. <laughs> and we got Friday the 13th with a potential tropical storm coming through. It's going to be going to Tropical. Be fun. Man, I wonder what will happen. It's only 2020. I'm sure yeah. things are getting better. Good things. <laughs> yeah, fire. Sure. The tropical storm yeah. will rain fire. It is just a firestorm. <laughs> Who knew Sharknado yeah. was true? It was, yeah. yeah. It was a prediction it of 2020. The future, yeah. yeah. Ian Searing, how do we not listen to him? Uh, also, uh, <laughs> while you're on that uh, internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. You can get a coupon code for 30% off of your personal subscription. That's for the lifetime of your prescription. You can also request a team trial and learn more about all the cool features available to you uh, for a corporate membership as well at go.itpro.tv slash technado. You said that was for the lifetime of their prescription. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's subscription. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it depends. We're not doctors do we, over here. Do we sell prescription medicines? Now? Yeah, yeah. We're getting in the biz. Side effects to watching Daniel's content are rare, but include uh, certification. If certification. you've been watching Technado, it's rare. Yeah. job getting. It's rare, very yeah. rare. Yeah. If you've been watching Technado for four hours or more, yeah. see a doctor. See a doctor. <laughs> yeah, a psychologist. Yeah. Would be the way to go there. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this week. Thank you again to Lindsey Bachman for joining us. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And uh, have a good Friday the 13th tropical storm party. Can't Woo. wait till the fire hits. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. All right, we'll see you next time, hopefully, right here on TechNado with Don Pizzette.